Well, good evening. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. It's good that we can be together here tonight in person, but also with those joining online um, in our live service. That's good because God calls us. He calls us out of our broken and fractured world into a place of rest, into, into home, to be his people, to worship him. And before we begin our service this evening, um, I, we have a few announcements. So one, I'm gonna actually going to call up Josh, and he's got an announcement about uh, our turkey baskets that we do each year. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, as many of you know, we uh, have traditionally done Thanksgiving baskets for Waters Elementary uh, for the families in need there. Um, we're doing it a little bit differently this year. We're going to be doing gift cards instead of the gathering the basket and gathering all the food like we've always done. Um, we're hoping to provide $80 gift cards to 25 families, and that's based on about the estimated cost of a full traditional Thanksgiving dinner. So you can contribute by giving online and selecting uh, Thanksgiving baskets. Um, that link is on the church website. Or you, if you're here in person, you can write a check and you can put uh, Thanksgiving baskets in the memo line. And the deacons are gonna buy the gift cards, deliver them to Waters Elementary, and then the elementary school staff will deliver them to the 25 families who need them. Uh, right now we have seven out of 25 covered, so there is still a need for this, and um, any amount that you donate is, is helpful, so thank you very much. All right, thanks, Josh. Um, if you'd like to give to the work of the church, there will, there will be a, uh, a plate at the, at the back of the church. You're welcome to drop uh, an offering there. Uh, like Josh mentioned, you're welcome to also put a gift for the Thanksgiving baskets in the plate, and that'll be in the back ledge uh, at the end of the service. Well, as we move into our time of worship, let's just take a moment of pause as we begin our time. Good evening. Our call to worship is from Psalm 67. And although we're not, we're not singing together, um, you, if you would stand with us, we'll have a responsive reading. gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way be known on earth your saving power among all nations let nations be glad and sing for joy for your, you judge the peoples with equity 
and guide the nations upon earth. yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. as we come uh, into our time, uh, a prayer time, let's just take a moment of pause to acknowledge with God our thoughts, our feelings before him. Let's pause. Almighty God, we come to you holding those words from Isaiah, the prophet that as darkness covers the earth, thick darkness covers the peoples, that you, Lord, will arise upon us. Father, we come to you, to, to you, to your light. You are the brightness of the dawn to our long and dark night. And may your strength and love and faithfulness shine radiantly in our souls. May it awaken our hearts from darkness, from the deep, long night of waiting of longing, of thirsting. And Father, for many of us, it may be hard to come this evening and not be distracted by the questions, the uncertainties, the longings that hover around us. So God, remind us again that our home, that our peace, that our sense of security, that our flourishing is not tied up in all the enticements and remedies of this world. Give us faith to believe that you are the calmer of the seas, that the water that you give quenches the deeper longings of our soul. May your perfect love, your love that is lavish and relentless, may it meet us in the places we find ourselves this evening. May it penetrate our stress, our anxiety, our fear. May it meet us in all of the ways we seize control and seek only our own interest. May it find us when we feel alone and checked out. Father, remind us that we are your sons and daughters. Lord, as we continue to battle the virus, give us wisdom and love to care well for one another and our neighbors. Be with those who are sick and impacted physically, emotionally, relationally by the virus. Comfort them, bring them healing and renewal in their time of isolation and suffering. Father, we know that your love, it bore flesh, that it walked through the darkness of the valley of death and upon the cross. And God, as you led your people out of Egypt through the wilderness to that certain place of promise, may Jesus lead us now through our sorrow and grief to the life and joy he brings through his resurrection. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, having come to God, it's good for us to come and also to acknowledge with God our need, our, our need for his, 
forgiveness and his grace in our sin. So we'll come honestly uh, first as a people, as a church, as a family, and then have a time of personal, quiet confession. Almighty God, you have called us to be your church, to continue the mission of Jesus Christ to our lonely world. Yet we acknowledge we are more callous than compassionate, obstinate than obedient, legalistic than loving. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacle preventing us from being your representatives to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the Holy Spirit and give us courage to follow you. Amen. Take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we confess our sin knowing that Jesus, who was rich in glory, became poor for our sake, so that in him alone we might become rich in mercy and grace. We, we give thanks in his name. Amen. Well, having confessed our sin, it's good for us then to hear God's beautiful words of assurance. And so let's stand together, and we'll, we'll say together Psalm 145. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. You may be seated. The scripture lessons for today, the New Testament lesson is Acts 8, verses 26 through 39. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? 
and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And the gospel lesson is from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Well, it's good to see you all, all of you here, and we're thankful to have uh, the live stream and the recording as well that uh, folks can gather and worship with us. Um, before we jump in, I just wanted to make one remark. I Personally, I've felt the heaviness of the last few weeks of, of the virus, of the numbers going up, um, of just so much uncertainty, of just even the trauma and reminders of March when everything shut down the first time. Uh, so I join you there, and I'm thankful that we can be here to hear God's word, to know that his word is lasting and that he gives it to us to encourage us. So let's jump in. Let us begin with Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, 
who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcast of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I pray that you would be with us here gathered, that you would hear the thoughts of our prayers, that you would draw near to us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I share these words and that they would be a comfort to all of us here. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one Christmas Eve, my dad wanted to cut down a tree. I don't know why we had to do it on Christmas Eve. I was in eighth grade at that time and it was already getting late and I was like, why are we cutting down a tree? This beautiful tree in our front yard had died. It had provided so much shade. And when it died and when we had to cut it off, it left a very barren spot in our front yard. It was, it was very noticeable. And we, we planted another tree, a very small tree. And my mom even did more work than that. She actually planted more bushes and um, plants in the area to try to um, bring something into that space, something new. And I open up with that illustration, partly so that you can share in my suffering that my dad um, made me cut down a tree on Christmas Eve. But really more is that there's um, this idea of something new growing, something new coming in a place that was barren, in a place that was left desolate. And to kind of maybe connect some of these themes that we've, we've seen from Pastor Chad and uh, his sermon series already and what Andy brought to us these last few weeks, we saw this figure, this suffering servant, who was humiliated for his people, who died for their iniquity. And out of his death comes offspring. And this is a, also we heard from Andy, this, this barren Zion. And this promise that Zion will not be barren forever. That God's people, he will bring people to it and restore Zion. And then lastly, we heard that God's word goes out and it will not return empty. These themes of empty and fulfillment. These themes of old and new. And it brings us here 
to chapter 56. God's doing something with this new community, the offspring of the suffering servant. And this new community, though, is living in harsh realities um, and challenging times. And I know for us, there's a sense of isolation and separation that are felt pretty closely to us these days. Even when we don't see, even when we do see each other, there still remains a distance, uh, whether it's mask or whether it's just the awkwardness of physical distancing. Something still remains off. Something's not fully right. Back in March, our lives came to a screeching halt. Our daily lives were disrupted. Our travel plans to see loved ones were put on hold. We had to find new ways to connect and continue to live and, and be a community together, even as the implications of the virus still rage on. And like us, the people of God who heard these words from Isaiah, this remnant of Judah, this remnant of Israel who had survived wars and famines and disease, occupation, being sent into exile and even returning back home. They're wondering, how are we to be the people of God? Who are we? How are we to live our lives? What are we to be about? So when Isaiah speaks about this suffering servant king and his actions, it's not that the suffering servant is just to free the, the people from the bondage of their sin, but out of his actions are springing forth a new community, a new community of people. And so for us to consider this evening is, what is this community? What are they about? Who belongs to this community? And then ultimately for us to think of, what is our place in that community? And what might that look like to live in this new community that the suffering servant, that Jesus Christ is forming, even now in the midst of our time? So let us consider that first question. How is this new community to live? How is this new community to live? So last week uh, at the hospital that I work at as a chaplain, I had to attend this meeting on uh, the hospital's culture. So I guess the CEO of our hospital is relatively new and he wants to meet with every single employee, including the lowly chaplains. And he wants to communicate a vision for a hospital and for the staff and this culture that he's wanting to bring. So all hospitals are meant to provide care and healing. And when you go to the hospital, that's what you expect to find relief from your aches and your pains and your sickness. So I guess hospitals have competition since all of them are doing that. Part of it is, well, what makes a hospital stand out? And part of his philosophy is this idea of service excellence, service excellence. And he, and he went through this whole list of how we can provide good service. We'll provide good service by providing health, but how can we go the extra mile? How, how are we already serving and how can we do it more? He even brought up, uh, some of you know Chick-fil-A, a lot of you do, and he even brought up their business model. Uh, we've, all, we've all encountered Chick-fil-A and this idea that when they serve you this chicken sandwich, somehow it's their pleasure that they're serving you a chicken sandwich. 
And he, he gave us that theme, if, if they can be happy and even have a real pleasure for serving people in that way, how much more can we find pleasure in serving those who are sick and hurt? Now, at the end of it, it was interesting. He actually said, if this isn't you, then this hospital isn't for you. That was, that was striking. I was like, whoa, whoa, he's setting the tone here. I start by sharing this illustration, this experience I've had, as a way to see what God is actually doing here in this passage. In this passage, God is setting the tone. He's setting the agenda for what this new community is all about. This community of people who have been redeemed by the suffering servant and are his offspring. This community that is to orient and live its lives in new ways. And he does this with a command. The command is keep justice and do righteousness. Keep justice and do righteousness. That's a pretty powerful command. And there's a lot there that can be unpacked. And we hear the word justice and righteousness, and we can kind of figure out what that might mean. And we've even heard that a lot in our current context justice, social justice. But what is going on here? What is this justice that we are to keep? What righteousness are we to do? And I think it's interesting. Isaiah actually gives us some examples of what that is. One of the ways Isaiah mentions in keeping justice and doing righteousness is to keep the Sabbath and not profane it. Now, for those of you who may not be unfamiliar, the Sabbath is a practice of rest, taking a day of rest, taking time from the week to rest and to worship and to pray and to enjoy the good things of life. Now, I'll be honest with you, I find it a little strange that Isaiah talks about the Sabbath here. What do you mean? You tell us to keep justice, you tell us to do righteousness, and yet you say rest. What is that about? What does Sabbath have to do with rest? Rest and worship allow this new community to orient itself around its king and around his purposes and his desires and his justice and his righteousness. Our lives are shaped by his life. Our character mirrors his character as the just and righteous king. This, this idea of Sabbath is reorienting us when we take time to be with God, to be in His presence, to worship Him, to rest, to slow down, it reorients us. It opens up our eyes to see things that we didn't see before. Maybe ways in which people have been hurt. Maybe injustices around us. Maybe even things that we have done ourselves. It renews our hearts in ways that opens us up to others. It draws us out of our own little worlds to see the circumstances and concerns of others. I just wonder, in particular, especially in light of the pandemic and all the things that are kind of bearing on us as a community, as people, I wonder if this idea is refreshing. I wonder if this is a something that can be an encouragement to us 
that as we're overwhelmed and swirling, that God is actually inviting us, as he calls us to keep justice and do righteousness, to seek what is right for ourselves and for others, of this idea of Sabbath, of finding our place and our comfort with him, I wonder if that might be a way to move forward before running in, maybe we stop. In addition to seeking rest with God, in another way Isaiah mentions keeping justice and doing righteousness is keeping one's hands from evil. Keeping one's hands from evil. I think it's easy for us when we hear that word evil. We can have some images of what evil is. Maybe there's a certain figure or a certain sort of practices that are evil. Something that resides out there that is evil. But that's not actually how Isaiah understands evil. That's not even how the scriptures talk about evil. Evil and the desires towards evil are actually a little closer to our hearts than we would like to admit. The scriptures speak of our eyes being blind to our own sins and the own evil that resides there. And our ears being slow to hear our own shortcomings. So this new community of the king is one that actively avoids evil. Not just the easy things that we can point out there that are evil. But to take an honest look inward. What is going on with me? How should I refrain from the evil that is present? This might be our own hidden prejudice against others. This might be our own lack of willingness to hear the concerns of others because of what it might reveal about our own lives and hearts. I think if you are honest with yourself and me too, and if we are honest together as a community, I think it's fair to say that this opening call in this passage to keep justice and do righteousness is a pretty cold dose of reality. It's like a cold water in our face because so often we don't actually do this. We don't practice this. And if you read the book of Isaiah, uh, the track record of God's people is, um, well, it's not always good. Uh, Isaiah mentions the people oppressing the poor and the needy for their own gain. The people orienting their lives towards their own desires rather than seeking what God desires. Paying lip service, but their hearts are really far away from anything that God would desire for them. Isaiah even culminates this in Isaiah 5 when he talks about this vineyard that's producing wild grapes. The people aren't doing what they're called to do. And Jesus even riffs off that and talks about these wine dresser, these vine dressers who seek to take the vineyard from the owner for their own purposes. And time and time again, we see the people of God failing to uphold this way of life, to seek justice for others, to live out God's righteousness and standards rather than our own. So, so why does God start here? If he knows that we're going to come short, why does he start here? Why has the tone seemed to change from the wonderful promises that he gave us that Zion would not be burdened, barren anymore. That the word of God would go out and not be empty. That the suffering servant 
has taken away our iniquity so that we can be God's people. Why why does he start here for this new community? Why does he set the tone here? I think this The new community does not keep justice or do righteousness to gain favor from God, but rather God's favor and grace that we see from the suffering servant, that we see in all the promises that have been leading up to this passage. They lead us into keeping justice. They lead us into seeking to do what is right. They lead us to love our neighbor as ourself. They lead us to draw near to the God who has saved us. Justice and righteousness lived out in this community is done because salvation is here. When this new community lives justly and righteously, we live out our active response to this salvation that has come. As we replicate this command to do justice, to keep justice, to do righteousness, the world comes to know our God. So he calls us to this, but as this community develops, as this community seeks to do justice, as it seeks to rest in God's grace, as it seeks to do what is right, something strange happens. The community begins to look a little different than what was expected in the past. This new community that Isaiah is describing here is opened up to those who were previously seen as outsiders and outcast, As the community does justice and keeps justice and does righteousness, God is gathering up those who were once outsiders and outcast. The, the, the characters that we meet here in this passage are, they're described as foreigners, or another word is strangers, and then eunuchs. And another way to think of eunuchs are are those who are are physically not whole, physically not whole. And as God's law, when it was um, for God's people, there were were laws that would um, temporarily separate the people of God from the nations, from foreigners. And in particular, this would play out in places of worship, that the people of God would worship here, And and foreigners could draw close, they could draw close to the temple, but not quite, not quite. But these were always meant to be temporary, not permanent. And then for eunuchs, it's similar to foreigners in, in the sense of separation from the place of worship, from the community of God. And for these eunuchs, it it may have been a natural occurrence for the reason why they are a eunuch. It may have been a choice, or it may have even been forced upon them. But whatever the reason, it's, it's a separation. It's not allowing them to enter in fully with the people of God, and in particular to worship. I find it interesting, many of these eunuchs are, were successful, actually. You find many working in the courts, working at high levels. They were royal officials. And yet, we hear this tone that they're not able to pass down their name, their heritage, their possessions. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, this would have been very significant to continue one's lineage, to continue one's name. In many ways, if one did not have any children, one had no name. One had no name. So in this passage, when we encounter the foreigner and the eunuch or the outcast, 
there's actually these inner voices which resound from both of them. I find these words powerful and, and very human. The foreigner says, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. The eunuch says, behold, I am a dry tree. These words, there's a weight to them. Something is missing. There's a longing. I find these words to be painful, yet very, very human. They give a sense of isolation, of loneliness, of separation, of emptiness, and ultimately, worthlessness. These, these voices and these lies, these internal voices are becoming a lie for, for, these, for the foreigner, for the eunuch to believe. And it weighs them down to a point of shame and isolation. I think it's fair to say that there's a power in these voices that continues to create this shame and isolation. And it's not just an inward voice, but oftentimes it can even come from outward sources, from what people say. They tell me I'm worthless. They tell me I'm unworthy. They tell me I have nothing to give. Yet these powerful voices, both internal and outward, are met with a gentle yet commanding voice, the voice of the king, the suffering servant. God declares to the eunuch who orients their life around God, who holds fast to God's promises, that his name will not fade away. Rather, he will receive an everlasting name. He's told that this everlasting name is even better than sons and daughters to who he could pass his own name to. Why is that? Because the name we receive from God is last forever. It's a name that cannot be removed. Once he has placed his name upon us, we are, we're, we're there. <laughs> we're his. This name is like a father or mother naming their child. We too, who receive this name, are sons and daughters of God. But we also see that it's not just a name that the outcast or the stranger or the foreigner receives, but it's also a place. It's a home. Isaiah uses this image of a, of a mountain, a holy mountain. It's a reference to Zion, Jerusalem, the place where God dwells with his people. And no longer will the stranger or the foreigner or the outcast or the one who's not whole will not have to dwell outside. This will become a place for them. I love that image, that they're given a name, that they're given a place. And for you and for, I, and for me, when we encounter these voices, I am unworthy. I have nothing to give. You have been given a name. You have been given a place. It's not just, the, the, this is not just a message of hope, though, for the stranger and the foreigner. It's actually a, a command to us, to the new community of the king. We follow and participate in his work. Twice we're told, let not the stranger, let not the eunuch, Think this way. Let not the stranger think they are separate. Let not the outcast think they have nothing to offer. Let the stranger and the outcast experience a sense of worthiness rather than worthlessness. 
And that's a pretty strong call to us, especially those who are blind and those who are hard of hearing. This is a missional call for the people of God to provide a different voice from the voices of rejection that strangers and foreigners and outcasts hear and experience. This new community is filled with people who were once strangers and once outcasts and now have been brought to God. We too imitate our king by drawing near to those who feel worthless and valueless. I want to move to this biblical illustration. We heard the passage read from Acts 8, Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch, this official from Ethiopia. The spirit moves Philip into this desert, into, into a place that is desolate and empty to meet this court official. And he worked for the queen very closely, we're told. He's a very important figure, someone who has power. And yet he's returning to Ethiopia from Jerusalem where we're told he worshiped God. He drew near to God's people. It was probably a holy feast, one of the holy feasts. And yet this important official who has a lot of power who has probably prestige in his own homeland, when he gathers with God's people, he's an outsider. He's an outcast. And in many ways, he's double because he's both a foreigner and a eunuch. But God calls Philip to draw near to him. And the irony of this passage is that the Ethiopian eunuch, the the official, is reading from Isaiah. He encounters the passage with the suffering servant, and he's wondering, who is this suffering servant who is humiliated for me and for the world? And Philip explains. He shares the good news that the servant came in Christ to restore us to life. And as they do their little Bible study, they come across water, And the Ethiopian eunuch, rather than hearing the voice, surely the Lord will separate me from his people, and I am a dry tree, the Ethiopian eunuch sees the water and says, there is water, why can I not be baptized? What prevents me from that? Nothing. Because the Ethiopian eunuch believes in the promises that God has given to him. I love the end. I wonder... I wonder, (laughs) this is a wondering that I personally have, I wonder if Philip took the Ethiopian official to 56. I mean, he's right there at 52. They didn't have those numbers, but I'm just wondering. Or, Or if the official, as he went away, as Philip disappeared and he was traveling back home, he was reading that passage, and when he encountered it, he's like, of course this is true. This is the message for me. But it's not just a message for this official, it's a message for us. That we are those who are drawn to a God who draws near to the outcast, to those who feel worthless and low, and that they don't have anything to give. So what does this mean for us now, in our context? What does this mean for this body of people who in many ways feel spread out, feel distant from one another. What, what might this speak to us? And I have three very, very brief reflections, very brief. 
First, if you feel dried up like a withered tree, if you feel that God is pushing you away, this new community is the place, is the space where God encounters those feelings. God draws and counters those internal voices and those external lies. God meets us with his gentle words and invites us from those voices of shame and worthlessness. Second, we are to be a community here and now. Um, The pandemic does not postpone or neglect this community in the way that we live, or not neglect, negate. The call to live as a people who keep justice and do righteousness remain even as our world struggles, even as we face restrictions, even as we face isolation. We are this new community in this harsh reality, in these challenging times. We are those who are meant to orient our life around God and his purposes and desires. We are those who are to work and to see and to keep justice, not only with our, in our own households and communities, but with those around us. We are those to see and do what is right. Even now, the isolation and the restrictions, yes, we, we do it because it's good and right, but it doesn't stop it. And that, and that goes to my third point, my last point here. God is not done. God is not done. The, the pandemic, the viruses, the restrictions, it doesn't stop his work. It may stop us for a time or it may make us limited in some ways, but it doesn't stop him. We are told at the end of our passage that God is described as a God who gathers the outcast the stranger, the foreigner to himself because he desires a people to be with him and a people who will love each other. So if you feel dry, this is the community for you. The work is still there even as we face restrictions. And we are reminded that God has not stopped gathering and he still gathers us together to him. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We are thankful that you are the king who draws near to us in our shame, in our loneliness, and in our isolation to give us life, to take dry trees, and to restore us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
Well, it's good having heard God's word. Um, it's good for us to come and affirm our place of rest. And we'll do this together. Let's stand together and we'll confess our faith. This comes from Our World Belongs to God. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, but others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. From the beginning through all the, the Christ, crisis of our time until his kingdom fully comes, our world belongs to him. Let the earth be glad. Well, just, it's, again, it's good to see you all. Uh, just a friendly reminder, we're asking folks to not dwell too long in this space, but go ahead and head outside. Hopefully it's not raining, uh, so if you want to chat a little bit. I know it's dark and cold, um, but at least say a hello to each other. Now receive the blessing from the Lord. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Mm -hmm.